our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's just about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Dr. Francis Chris Welsing, now an honored ancestor, and indeed, she was greeted with great celebration and love. It is with a heavy heart that I announce that Dr. Francis Chris Welsing made her transition today, January 2nd, 2016. She has been an honored guest on our broadcast numerous times over the years since 1987. We valued her insight and love of community. We treasured her understanding of the world in which we live. We pay tribute to her life and her legacy. And we present her comments and commentary made on our common ground. And my thoughts are that we it's very, very, very important that people understand the dynamics 
the power dynamics of the environment that they are in. It's very much like if a person goes on a new job and uh, they, if they want to be successful, they have to understand what are the power relationships and power dynamics in that job place. You know, who's in charge, who does what, who can cause what to happen. And so we are in a system of racism, white supremacy. And that system is about the global white minority population, and many people don't even think about this fact of reality on planet Earth, that the white population is a tiny minority population. Fewer than one-tenth of the people on planet Earth have white skin. Nine-tenths of the people are black, brown, red, and yellow. And I maintain that beginning in the 15th century with Columbus, when he came, when Europeans came out of Europe and began to circumnavigate the planet, and they found that those men and those discoverers, explorers, whatever you want to call them, wherever they landed, they found colored people, number one. The second thing they found is if the men had sexual relations with those women, the white men had sexual relations with the non-white women, all of the children ended up looking like their mothers. Now, that's the reverse. President Barack Obama is a critical example, uh, if people need to have an example, of his mother is white, his father was black. He did not come out looking like a white person. That's because of the genetic dominance of the ability to produce skin coloration. And so he turned out as an identifiably black person, even though his mother was white. I refer to that as white genetic annihilation. And my thesis is is that once the people who classify themselves as white understood, number one, that they were a minority and that they were genetic recessive compared to the genetic dominance of people of color, they worked out, consciously, subconsciously, they worked out a global scheme for white genetic survival. And that scheme of white, for white genetic survival on planet Earth is what we now refer to as racism, white supremacy, because there are no people of color that determine what is going to happen to the lives of people who classify themselves as white. And so to go back to the comments made by Judge Sotomayor, Mayor, um, she cannot be called a racist. She is a non-white person, self-identified as non-white, who has been a victim of racism, white supremacy, and she has the sensitivities of a person who is non-white, has been classified as non-white in a system of racism, white supremacy. Now, this is what, you know, as a psychiatrist, psychiatrists want everybody to, to terms with reality. One of the things that we were told when we were training as psychiatrists is that the role of the psychiatrist 
is to help people face reality, even when they are afraid to do so. And the kind of thing that we see happen, we can see it, uh, you know, starkly when we're looking at the media and cable news, uh, whether it's CNN, Fox, MSNBC, when um, ever the phrase of racism is mentioned, you immediately have people who classify themselves as white going into a hysterical reaction. You're playing the race card. You're playing the race card. To block any further discussion of racism, and I maintain that, you know, that sensitivity to block the discussion of racism, in other words, don't analyze what I am doing. Don't decode what I'm doing as a person who classifies him or herself as white, because you're you're decoding what the game is all about. And so, and I say that black people, we have a way of expressing ourselves. When we greet each other, we say, hey, what's happening? That phrase must be, you know, uttered a trillion times a day all across this area of the world that we call America by black people. And I say the brain produces that question, what's happening? Because we have been deceived, we have been told that the system is democracy, or we might be told that the system is capitalism. In reality, the system is racism, white supremacy. This is what we as black people have experienced for the 500 years that we have been in this area of the world, having been brought in the form of slave, slave labor. And slavery was a part of the system of racism, white supremacy. But we were told that, you know, this is a democracy and everybody is equal mm -hmm. to the extent that black people are miseducated and confused and think that they are in a system of democracy, then they will begin to think. Well, this doesn't have any meaning. This is just a person who is employed to participate in a commercial. Do you see? Or all of the negative yeah. images of black people that are in videos and that are in film. And we can go back to the end of the civil rights era when black people were sacrificing and giving their lives to make progress and move forward in a system of racism, white supremacy, that was called a segregated society. People gave their lives, were trampled on by horses, were knocked down with fire hoses, and they came out of that struggle talking about black pride, black is beautiful, black power, black self-respect. And the system thought this, anytime people are into a mode of self-respect and admiring themselves because they were saying that black is beautiful. They weren't saying white is ugly. They were saying, no, when I look in the mirror, I can respect myself as a black person. I think I'm beautiful. I think I'm handsome as a black person. But that's dangerous when people value themselves. So the next wave of activity was black people being paid large sums of money so-called entertainers to call themselves niggers, 
to call themselves dogs, to call themselves gangsters, to call themselves thugs, to call the women bitches and whores. And the complete annihilation of black self-respect, but because people did not understand we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, that Mm -hmm. has the goal objective of white genetic survival on planet Earth by any means necessary. And part of that is the destruction of self-respect and dignity of the people who are most feared. There are no people on the planet who were calling themselves those kinds of names, not anybody on the planet, just like there are no people on the planet who were saying that if you study, if you're trying to study, you're acting white. See, but these are the kinds of distortions that were put in place following black people gaining ground and coming out of the civil rights era with a sense of dignity and pride and respect for themselves. And so the system that is about maintaining white supremacy for the purpose of white genetic survival knew that it had to attack. It's almost like looking at a chess game. You see, if you think about the game of chess where there's a white side of the board and a black side of the board, And the object of the game of chess, white always moves first, and black has to move following white's move. But the object of the game of chess, if you break down the game and analyze what's its most fundamental objective, the game of chess is about the white king checkmating the black king. So the white king plays offense, defense, or the white side of the board plays offense, defense, and the black side of the board has to play defense offense. And so we begin to understand this critical dynamic that Dr. Du Bois identified in 1903 in his book, Souls of Black Folks, the problem of the 20th century is countering racism, white supremacy. Racism, white supremacy, I need you to be in a demeaned, degraded, inferiorized condition. Instead of us just blindly falling into that trap, it's like we have to say, absolutely no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it should be a war no. cry. Absolutely no. Dr. Welton, we've run out of time, and I have been so honored to have this conversation with you. Well, I uh, we do want you to come back. We, we're, we, want to do, we want to do a teach-in. And we want to schedule it so that you will come in and just do your teaching. You know, one of the things we didn't touch on is religion and how our religious institutions have become that. Or how they new... reflect right. the system of white supremacy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Well, thank and... you for inviting me, and I hope that your listening audience got something out of our discussion. Well, I am sure that they did. I am sure that they did. And uh, you'll hear from me very soon. All right. Do take care. Have a good evening. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That was our sister doctor, Frances Cress Welsing. She has been a shero of mine, uh, I would say, since uh, 1966. How about that? 
and uh, I was so honored. Francis Chris Welsing, now an honored ancestor. She has been an Our Common Ground voice since 1987. We honor her life. We mourn our loss. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight. That was our tribute to our sister warrior, Dr. Frances Chris Welsing, who made her transition at 5.45 a.m. this morning. She was a Washington, D.C.-based psychiatrist and race theorist. She rocked the fields of cultural and behavioral science with her 1970 essay, The Crest, Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism, White Supremacy. This striking theory of the origins of racism is rooted in the effects that varying degrees of melanin, the color-producing pigment in skin, can have on racial perception and development. She wrote, the quality of whiteness is a genetic inadequacy or a relative deficiency or disease based upon the inability to produce the skin pigments of melanin, which are responsible for all skin color. She explained in the essay, adding, majority of the world's people are not so afflicted, suggesting that the color, that the state of color is the norm for human beings and its absence is abnormal. She was the second of three girls born in Chicago, Illinois, on March 18, 1935, into a family that was considered a prominent medical family in Chicago. Her father, Henry Incress, was a medical doctor, as was her grandfather. After receiving her bachelor's degree in Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio, in 1957, and her MD at Washington, D.C.'s Howard University College of Medicine, five years later, she pursued a career in general and child psychiatry. Her Crest Theory essay was published while she was an assistant professor of pediatrics at the Howard University College of Medicine, and according to her, it caused such a stir that her tenure at the university was not renewed in 1975. She was born Frances Luella Cress, and tonight we raise her up as an honored ancestor. Happy New Year, everyone. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we are talking about while we slept, the same kind of sleeping that Dr. Frances Cress Welsing has been warning us about since the 1960s. And joining me for this discussion, while we slept, the bodies of black people in this country, is our good friend, warrior sister, Ruby Sales. Ruby, thank you so very much for joining us tonight here at Our Common Ground, and Happy New Year. What a sad Happy day Happy New is. Year, and thank you for having me, and it's very difficult to to be here 
on the heels of Dr. Wilson's uh, death? I I tell you, it was uh, uh, tough. I got a call from Dr. Ray Wimbush this morning at around 6.15, and he informed me of her death. All of us of our generation can appreciate the kind of clarion call that she made. You know, Ruby, I want to talk about this uh, a a bit, but first I want to say to people who are listening on their smartphones, if you'd like to join our chat room, you can do so at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. This is a very difficult thing um, uh, for me to face, Ruby. We are uh, seeing the, we are mourning tonight the loss of a voice that not only was pivotal in our liberation struggle, but I have interviewed Dr. Francis Chris Welsing. Well, I don't I don't call my talks interviews. I have had two hour discussions with her on eight occasions. That's sixteen hours of discussion. And I was honored to be able to spend time in in her home with her as she hosted me personally while I attended the Clarence Thomas hearings, uh, Senate hearings. I want to underscore the sacrifice that Dr. Chris Welsing made in her life on behalf of black people. Ruby, are you there? I'm I'm here. I'm I'm listening and thinking deeply about the issue of sacrifice. And the collective sacrifice. I I think a whole lot about sacrifice because the whole history of African American struggle has been one generation after the other sacrificing for a common dream. And although they wanted us to be educated, they did not imagine that we would be educated simply to pursue our own individualistic needs and careers. They invested so much in us because they thought that education would push the race just a little bit closer to the finish line of freedom. And so they were making an investment, not only in a person, but in a people and in freedom. And I just wonder sometimes if they were able to visit us now, what would they say in the face of such rampant individualism? What did Dr. Wilson think after she spoke out and was denied tenure and had the courage to keep on and making the sacrifice because she thought that the work and the vision was more important than tenure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is our history. We can tell countless of stories. I think about people like Fannie Lou Hamer and Victoria Gray Adams and John Hewlett, 
all local people in the Southern Freedom Movement, Janice, who themselves would never walk in doors that they opened. They would never go to universities that they fought to open the doors to. They knew that they would never go to those places. But what was important is that they thought that they were opening the doors for other people to walk in to advance the race so that they were not into, well, honey, I'm not going to ever go there. Why should I? No, that was not where they came from. It was the larger vision. They were race people who put the race at the top of the shelf in all that they did. And that describes our dear, beloved ancestor, sister, Dr. Frances Cresswell thing. I think it certainly it, it certainly does. Um, Ruby, I cannot reiterate in the same eloquence in which you have brought it to us but I, I I will say that um she I think you have to put it almost in a historical context at the time this was a woman who could have should have I mean she was being considered to head up the Department of Psychiatry at Howard University School of Medicine. And instead, she chose to tell a truth as she understood it. It took an awful lot of courage in 1970 to say the things that she said then easy for us to throw around white supremacy, racism, blah, 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 blah. We love to talk about. But we have to understand in the context of history, black people didn't start talking about white white supremacy until five years ago. The word was kind of the term, the using that kind of language was foreign to most black people, and that includes scholars. Am I right? Well, I think that the term the conversation existed longer than five years, but it was not popularized. It was not a popular discussion. That's exactly I, what I mean. I it was made thinking black about something she said. Yes. She said something about segregation and not white supremacy. And I thought you're right on. You can segregate anybody. That does not describe the system of white supremacy that predicates itself on the fact that one race is pure and another race is impure. One race is perceived as being at the top of the human scale and the other race is being seen at the bottom by the people who are at the top. And so we need to start naming things. It's not just capitalism. You see, racism convolutes the landscape. And so we're not just talking about capitalism, as she pointed out. We're talking about white supremacist capitalism. We're not talking about segregation. It's not like segregating the boys from the girls. We're talking about white supremacy in the South. We're talking about white supremacy in the North. Whether you are talking about white supremacy that yielded uh 
isolating black people in, in, in isolated communities in the north or whether you're talking about it in the south, it is a main feature of white supremacy. It is a tool of oppression called containment. White supremacy predicates itself on the containment of people because mobility is very dangerous to the stability of white supremacy. So we've got to start naming things as they are. And she was right on with the insistence of saying the name over and over and over again. Mm-hmm, white mm-hmm. supremacy. We live in a white and, and, supremacist class system. You just can't say class. You have to say a white, because everybody the same working, everybody who are, is a part of the working class does not experience the same life. The, the life that you experience is determined by, by racism, by white supremacy. So we've got to start saying that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, she talked about structural racism in a very, very specific way. Um, she she pr- proposed that it is the structural racism of the capitalist system that leads to a racist outlook and ideology in a society and not the other way around, which is how Marxists, for instance, uh, um uh, address um, uh, the issues of the problems of capitalism, and 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 she proposed that it that was why Marxists continually explain that there's no lasting antidote to racism within the limits of capitalism because they've got it backwards rather than understanding what drives what. And I I just hope that all of you who are listening will take some time this weekend uh, to visit the work of Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. This was a woman who gave her entire life. As we are known to say, she died with her boots on. Um, I know that last week before she was before, before she was fallen by a stroke, she was doing radio, talking about mm-hmm. how we survive, talking about extrajudicial killings in this country of black people. She was talking about Tamir Rice and why the fact that he was 12 years old didn't prevent him from being gunned down by the police. And I am just really so thankful for what she has contributed in this struggle because what she's contributed really is wisdom. She has she I mean she took her professional training as a psychiatrist and began to examine what everything that she knew, everything that she had learned as a medical doctor into what we must know about ourselves. And basically, Ruby, at the end of it, she was a common-sense sister. 
that believe that the beginning and the end and the middle of our struggle had to be self-respect and respect for each other. The name of the book is The Ice's Papers. And you should pick it up if you want to know about Dr. Francis Cresswell-Singh. I know that I have just been honored uh, to know her, to learn from her uh, as much as I could. And before we get started tonight... I do, Ruby, indulge me. Um, The name of the book is The Isis Papers, The Keys to the Color. In the excerpt she writes, We now are nearing the final decade of the 20th century. Recently there has been an unraveling and an analysis of the core issue of the first global power system of mass oppression, the power system of racism. The length of time required to neutralize global white supremacy will be inversely proportional to, one, the level of understanding of the phenomenon, plus two, the evolution of self and group respect, the will, determination, and discipline to practice the appropriate counter-racist behaviors on the part of the non-white victims of white supremacy. Ashe. Thank you for indulging me. Um, Ruby, tonight we're going to be talking about while we slept. Black bodies in 2015. We are... We have closed this year... Uh, with many events that lay heavy on our hearts. They are not all uh, police killings. But I I, I do want to point out that police killed more than 100 unarmed black people in 2015. 100 or 1,000? Unarmed. Unarmed, oh, un- killed by police. That's six times the rate of unarmed whites. And you know some of those names. Betty Jones, Chicago police shot Betty Jones in the neck accidentally. You know Tiara Thomas in Portage, Indiana. A police officer killed Tiara, who was the mother of three of his children, and the motive was that he suspected her to be financial. The the motive is suspected to be financial. You know all of these names. Those are only two. You know Tyree Crawford. You know John Crawford. You know Billy Ray Davis. You know Michael Sabi. You know Sandra Bland. You know uh, Victor LaRosa of Illinois. You know Chris Jackson of 
South Lake Tahoe, California, and Jermaine Benjamin of Vero Beach, Florida, you know these names. Some mother, some family, Freddie Gray, you know these names. How did we get here, Ruby? Well, we've always, I mean, what I really want to say, let me just give a little history. Because one of the things that Dr. Uh, Welsing said that's very true is that we must face reality. We must look at things that we find very difficult to look at. And one of the things, if you watched any civil rights films in this country, the news, you saw the viciousness of the police. If you read history, you know about Colfax, Louisiana, during during Black Reconstruction, where white people went on a, a rampage and destroyed much of the black community, and the police were participants in that rampage. We know about the race riots called the Summer Riots, of 1919, where white people went on a rampage again in black communities in Charleston, South Carolina, in Kentucky, in Omaha, Nebraska, in Chicago, Illinois, in um, in um, Washington, D.C. And the police, instead of protecting and assisting black people and holding off the white mob, They participated and stood by while white people shot black people. So we have got to ask, if this has been our history, if if police murder is in the DNA of American history and white supremacist American history, then we have to begin to ask certain questions. Why are police... Why are, are are they continuously and systematically killing black people? Who do we think the police are? And what relationship do we think they have in a white supremacist society? What is their role? And when is it that they interfere in, in, in black lives? And so we've got to really stop being surprised I agree with Dr. Wilson. Why, after 400 years of of organized, systemic, state-sponsored violence, would people be surprised? In the 1980s, Amadou Diallo was shot more than 40 times, 41 shots and still counting. Eleanor Bumpers, black woman in Bronx, New York, shot down by the police multiple times. Why are we surprised? One of the things that the Kerner Commission pointed out in this assessment of the riots is that they were always precipitated. Every riot that black people have engineered in this country was precipitated by police violence and police murder. We must face the fact that police 
It's not a question of good police or bad police. They are the armed and legitimate agents of repression to maintain law and order, not constitutional law and order, but law and order of the status quo of a white supremacist government. Well, you know, two of the things that we have been grappling with for a, a couple of years now, especially since the the um, the, the the assassination of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, is that we have a legal system, Ruby, that has laws which allow the legitimate. This is why the police are always coming back at us and and saying that that the shooting was justified. That the warrantless intrusion on families is justified. I mean, I, I'm, I'm often reminded of how the Maryland State Troopers bombarded Barbara Arnwine, who was then the executive director of the... Um, the the um, Lawyers... Lawyers Committee. Yes. And held she and her elderly mother at gunpoint while they ramshackled her house in the early mornings of a Sunday. But it is the, I am reminded that in 2014, it was Dr. Vernelia Randall, the esteemed law professor, who reminded us. that the law is not our friend. But, but I guess what really confuses me is that the law has never been black people's friends. Under the under the system of states' rights, white police always had the license to kill black people under the cover of the law and get away with it. This is not a new it is a it is a continuum continuum. It's not new. It's not like we woke up in 1980 and suddenly there were all these convoluted laws to keep white people, white police from going to jail for killing black people. This is a chronic history. It's not new. But then there are those who will say it is because we have not organized, we have not educated in a proper way, and we have not responded in an effective way. Well, I think Dr. Wilson said something else that was very good. She laid out something that said that there was a point in the destabilization. When black people said black was beautiful, the reason why white folks got very upset because it destabilized the white supremacist worldview that said that only white was beautiful. And if you could accept that black was beautiful, then that meant that white was not supreme. And it wasn't that we were saying that white people were ugly, but we were saying, in fact, that they were not supreme, that we were also essential humanity, and we were also beautiful, and we were also a part 
of, of creation in a very real and substantive way. And so I think that part of what we've got to really grapple with is understanding that we've been a part of a low-intensity conflict war against African Americans. And basically, low-intensity conflict is a chronic assault, a persistent, pernicious assault on the inner and outer structure of third war, of, of colored communities around the world. And you engage in psychological warfare. So after black people asserted that black was beautiful, then there, there, then there was psychological warfare against black people that, that began to shift our positive sense of ourselves into neg- very negative viewpoints of who we were. And no longer were we black and beautiful. No longer were we admired by liberation struggles from around the world. We suddenly became, in our own words, bitches and hoes and, and, and gangsters and thugs. And that fed into the, into the white supremacist machinery that was trying to regroup from the dis- Let's face it, we destabilized white supremacy. We didn't defeat it, but we destabilized it. And they and, and it was naive enough to believe that they would allow us to just walk away with their system destabilized and not have a comeback. And the comeback was an assault on vital areas of survival in the black community, whether it was the home, whether it was the the family, whether it was the school school culture, all of the ways in which black people had survived became under assault. And the sad thing about it is that we participated in that. We participated. We called our mamas and our sisters and our, our daughters hoes and bitches. We, we called ourselves thugs and niggers. And when you present yourself in the world that way, you set yourself up to be able to be murdered by the police and people think good riddance because you're nothing more than an animal and you pose a threat. You're a criminal who poses a threat to orderly society. So we have to begin to ask very fundamental questions about choices that we make as a people and what reality do we live in. This is not a game. This is serious business that we're up against, and I don't think we take it seriously. And and you have to ask yourself, is a title, is a house, because those are trinkets that the empire uses in a psychological warfare to seduce people to commit racial suicide. Absolutely. And so, number you is, know, it's very uh, hard. And so when you see all these police executions in the streets of America, you have to begin to ask the question, where have I seen this before? Doesn't this look, the only difference is the person is being shot down, but the decimation creation of the black body, haven't I seen that hanging from trees? Didn't Billy Holiday talk about it in Strange Fruit? Didn't we know about Emmett Till? Didn't we know about black people being lynched and tortured, black women being pulled, being lynched in Georgia and Valdosta, Georgia, where 
what Kendrick Johnson was found dead at school, murdered at school, black woman pregnant, lynched by the lynch mob in the early 1900s, and the baby pulled out of her stomach and his body dashed on the ground. What evidence more do we need to grapple with the fact that we're up against a white supremacist system that will do anything to survive and that they see black people as the most dangerous threats to their survival because we have been the most persistent people who have engaged in resistance. Our resistance has been the most persistent. And if we follow Dr. Wilson's theory that there is a because they fear the prominence of our blackness, the power of our blackness, the physical power, the genetic power of our blackness. What they have constantly done is to try to thwart that by committing genocide. In nineteen in the nineteen forties, a radical group of black people, Orlando Patterson, and other black people the workers, black workers in this country went before the United Nations in 1940s and charged genocide. And as a part of their position paper, they listed a line of police murders against black people in this country. I guess I don't really understand, as Dr. Wilson was trying to say, I agree with her. What's happening Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why can't we get it? What is in us that refuses to believe the evidence that's right before us? What evidence more do you need when a 12-year-old black boy is executed in an open carry state simply because he was carrying a toy gun, and then people animalize him by saying that he was a big man? What about Ariana Jones, seven-year-old black girl in Detroit, Michigan, sleeping in her grandmother's house on the couch? The police conducted a SWAT raid, and before that raid was over, Ariana Jones was dead. And guess what? They said they were going there looking for drugs, only to discover it was the wrong house. We must begin to face the reality unless we're going to find ourselves, and and I hate to predict this, but let me just tell you, with the kind of history that white people present to us under white supremacy and with their power to manipulate genes and their chronic attempt to, 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 to create genocide against black people, whether it's executing Laquan McDonald in the street, whether it's killing black women in jails, uh, what makes us think that this person, this race is going to be benevolent enough not to unleash chemical or bacteriological warfare on us? When are we going to understand what we're up against? You know, Ruby, I have been saying all year, using the hashtag, Stay woke. But as you recount the evil attacks against us, which have been heaped on other strategies, 
I guess at our common ground tonight, we're asking the question, what were you doing? Were you sleep while we slept? Black Bodies in 2015, Dr. Ruby N. Sales is my co-host tonight. She is the executive director and founder of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take your calls at 347-838-9852 while we slept. He's a banner. But in my attempt to understand what racism is all about because I wanted to be a good psychiatric physician to black people primarily, because they didn't have all of the psychiatric physicians that they needed. And when I took histories on black patients and found that their problems, whether it was drugs or alcohol or depression or psychosis, was stemming from confrontation with this horrible destructive force in the environment that we call racism, I said, i got to understand what that really is all about. And so looking at this fact that, wait a minute, these people who put this big lie out that they're the majority are really the minority. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Hi, I'm Venus Williams. You know, I heard recently that the two main reasons for not getting an annual mammogram are limited access and fear. I know that there are low-cost and even free screenings at some hospitals and clinics, and I've even heard of mobile mammogram units in some areas. Talk about service. Look, I know getting a screening is not as exciting as shopping, but life is for living. So take the first step to breast health. Get the mammogram. For more information, please visit BreastCancerAwareness.com. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. If it's real raw right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Join my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio. Every Tuesday night at 9 p.m., the I Declare show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., blog talk radio. I Declare it. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show, baby. She's definitely here because she loves some Aretha, and we love her. Her career, like Aretha's, was lovingly influenced by her father, the great Nat King Cole. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. And she went on to achieve the kind of stardom and respect that could only make a daddy proud. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, here's the beautiful and talented Natalie Cole. 
that we are not worthy of the same and similar rights and privileges of all other citizens. So shame is one of those things. The second is that I think that as a collective, especially for working poor people in this country, black people in this country, that we are constantly struggling against the tide and understanding the power and the evil and the bad of this government, and it becomes overwhelming. So we sleep. Now, that does not mean that we have no awareness. After 31 years of listening and talking with black people in truth, in their truth, in the black truth, I do not believe that we are a people who are unaware. That even the least of those, even the people that are in comas, have some understanding of what we face, what is against us. So we have so many brothers and sisters who will sit on our accomplishments and say, that's why you have people who are constantly quoting Malcolm X and Ida B. Wells and Mary Church Terrell and Fannie Lou Hamer and and Kwame Touré and Ruby Sales because it is their point, in, it is the place in which they point, which is why there is discourse and dialogue in our community right now after 50 women have come forth and said that Bill Cosby sexually assaulted them in some way, we'll argue about it because he is Dr. Huxtable. May I just weigh in on that? Because I think of it's much more complicated. Of course you can. I, I want to you, just oh, talk about that. You own this that. microphone as much as I do tonight. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with racism and white supremacy is that it complicates very simple matters. And it is a very simple matter if a person rapes someone, if a man rapes a woman, the man needs to be punished, that that's a crime against the person's body. And so that's a very simple, simple understanding. However, when a white prosecutor is running for public office and he runs on the back of saying that he will get Bill Cosby, then racism complicates something that should be very simple. When, in fact, Willie Horton was used to bring down the caucus's presidency bid, bid for president, and he was presented as a rapist, and 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 so that 
messes up the whole simple proposition that rape is a crime because you can't read things simply through one optic in a racist society. And the truth of the matter is not to say that the women are lying because I don't, it's not, that's not the point. The point is white women must take some responsibility for the fact that there is some hermeneutics of suspicion because it's not like they've never lied on black men before. Mm-hmm. So racism complicates a very simple proposition that if a woman says she's raped, she should be she should be believed. But that hasn't been the narrative. It's very complicated. Yeah, and we will it is end up fighting each other and stop speaking to each other over Bill Cosby when he's just one person and we are a group of people and we do not need to become torn apart over Bill Cosby. That's not the issue that we should go to war about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He can well, take care of himself. He's a big boy. He can get the best defense in this country, let the chips fall where they may. So, But I worry but, about our simplistic. You see, it's like what Francis Cress Wilson said on the, on the tape that I heard tonight. <clears throat> she said that when you say to black people that there's racism, some black people will come back and say, oh, no, that person is not racist. I can't speak for Bill Cosby, and I certainly think rape is vile. One of my great sadness is that racism convolutes things so, and, and makes simple things not so simple. And therefore, we can't have a simple analysis. Now, I'm not going to be badgered into saying just because a white woman says she was raped that I should believe it when the history doesn't doesn't uh, coordinate with that, that the history tells a different story. Do you know how many times Thurgood Marshall ran up and down the streets of America defending black men who had been accused of rape, who had not raped the women? Now, if we're going to deal with Bill Cosby, we've got to at least put that in the conversation and not beat somebody up like Ruby Sales who says that this is a much more complicated conversation that racism screws it up. Well, and the other I, thing I, is is that nobody talked about the policeman in Oklahoma, who was a serial rapist of the black women. And the other thing that this is how racism screws it up. If black women's bodies are so important, then why was Betty Jones shot down in in Chicago just because she opened the door? Racism screws it up. Yes. It, it, it still does the not tragedy answer the, of it. It screws it up. It 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 doesn't get to the question of why. When when I say we are sleeping, what I mean by that is that we are not reading our lives through that 
third eye. Racism and white supremacy should be complex and complicated through the eyes of other Americans. But for black and that people, doesn't mean that Bill Cosby did not rape the women. That's not the point. The point that I'm making is why is he being treated differently than all other rapists? And the second point that I'm making is how do you read a white woman's cry of rape in a very limited history of historical lies where black men have been lynched because white women said they raped them? What do we do with that? How do we read that in a way that gives justice to the fact that the woman might have been raped, but also gives some understanding to the fact that black men as rapist beasts has been part of the historical narrative used during white supremacy in the South uh, before the Southern Freedom Movement, where the whole justification for and the whole public propaganda about racism said to white people that if you allow black people to have the seat in democracy, they will black men will turn around and rape our daughters. It's it's or, too simplistic to read it without that overlay. Or to know, and I want to play this clip, to know that an elected official, a person who is being paid by black tax dollars, would make an effort, an aggressive effort, to justify and rationalize why a 12-year-old boy was assassinated. Listen to this. Today, a Cuyahoga County grand jury completed its thorough investigation of the fatal shooting of the 12-year-old Tamir Rice on December 22, 2014 at the Codell Recreation Center. Based on the evidence they heard and the law as it applies to police use of deadly force, the grand jury declined to bring criminal charges against Cleveland police officers Timothy Lohman mm. and Frank Garmbeck. That was also my recommendation and that of our office after reviewing the investigation and the law. A short time ago, we informed Tamir's mother of the grand jury's decision. It was a tough conversation. We again expressed the condolences of our office, the sheriff's detectives, and everyone else who has worked so diligently on this case, and our sincere wish that these events on that traumatic day at the Goodell Rec Center had unfolded differently. She was broken up, and it's very hard. We explained to her that this was a difficult decision also, but that to charge police, even a situation what was as undeniably tragic as the death of her son, the state must be able to show that the officers acted outside the constitutional boundaries set forth by the Supreme Court of these United States. Simply put, given this perfect storm of human error, mistakes and miscommunications by all involved, that day, the evidence did not indicate criminal conduct by police. It is now indisputable that Tamir was drawing his gun from his waist as the police slid toward him and Officer Lohman exited the car. At the point where they suddenly came together, both Tamir and the rookie officer were no doubt frightened. If we put ourselves in the victim's shoes, as prosecutors and detectives try to do, it is likely that Tamir 
whose size made him look much older and who had been warned that his pellet gun might get him into trouble that day, either intended to hand it over to the officers or show them it wasn't a real gun. But there was no way for the officers to know that because they saw the events rapidly unfolding in front of them from a very different perspective. This is how the prosecutor in the uh, Tamir Rice case went before a grand jury and rigged the argument, the argument which does not speak to what I saw with my own eyes. That is why, Ruby, we sleep. No, we sleep, yes, we sleep because of that. We also sleep because part of me asks, what did we expect? There were so many red flags in that case. There were so many red flags that nothing was going to be done and why did we think Tamir Rice's body would have more value than Michael Brown's body, Laquan McDonald's body, Ariana Jones's body, Melissa Williams's body? Why did we think if the stigma is black and Tamir Rice is black, and if black children are being arrested in in Baltimore, Maryland, in one of the junior high, in one of the elementary schools? and being taken out of their classroom for for common disciplinary problems and put in handcuffs and taken to jail, if we see the police throw a young black girl across the room in her high school class, if we remember Celicia Johnson, five years old in Millersville, Georgia, who threw a temper tantrum and that was considered a crime and she was taken out of her classroom in handcuffs, traumatized, now, what? why is it that we thought Tamir Rice's situation would be different? We should have already been organized. We should have had a certain kind of strategy developed. We should have been focused more. We should have been disciplined more. That when the verdict came out that we knew that they were not going to indict the police, because they haven't indicted very many police, we knew that. So why were we surprised? I don't get that. I I don't think that people were more. Yeah, people talk, People were crying. They were upset. They were saying they couldn't believe it, and he was just a child. But white people have never taken into account that black children are children. I agree with That's you there. That's not new history. Am I being cynical? No, I don't think you're being cynical. I, but I think you're speaking from your experience as someone, from your spirit and experience of someone who does something about injustice. I, I, I think that people were less surprised than they were stunned and unorganized. They were stunned and not ready. Because somewhere they believed and they hoped and, and told themselves 
that perhaps the criminal justice system would be fair. And that because although the man child. had not been taken, had not missed a day, had not was still being paid, although he had a very shady past, although he was considered not quite stable by the other job that he had worked on, although he had had issues around black people, and he was still walking around to tell the story as a police in a uniform, what more evidence did we need? Why were we not out in the streets of Cleveland in mass having a hunger strike? Why are we willing to accept, I don't care if the family sues and wins money. The truth of the matter is it's a sad statement when a black child's body is worth more dead than alive. When the state is willing to pay for dead bodies rather than give people justice. Well, I mean, we, these are hard conversations that we must have. Ariana Jones's grandmother sat in the court in Detroit and cried like a baby and is welled up with grief even today. I talked with a sister in Florida last week who said she's trying to get the Justice Department to do something. Her son was killed coming from the fairground where he was run over. After being incarcerated, after being stopped by the police, the police put him out on the highway, and he was hit and thrown up in the air against the car, and no charges was brought against the young man who killed him. I'm talking with mothers right now whose 18, 16, and 17-year-old children have been murdered by the police. And they are still walking around to tell the story. So we've got to understand that the state does not intend to prosecute because what the Supreme Court has said is that it has made killing black people a law of the land. The only thing the police has to say is, I feared for my life. Even if the person's back is turned, the police can say, I feared for my life. And that's exactly what I mean about the law is written to legitimize this kind of brutality against black people. But it's always been written that way. When Thurgood Marshall went up against, he had to take cases to the Supreme Court. Because state laws were written that way. And where the federal government failed is that, on the one hand, it's charged with protecting, representatives are charged with protecting the constitutional rights of all citizens, but these very same people have opposing loyalties because they're committed, even as federal representatives, to protecting the prerogatives of a white supremacist state because they are see themselves as part of that system. So how do you protect the rights of someone who you think is a threat to your way of life? And they identify more with white with their white brothers and sisters, with white police than they do with black victims. That's just how mm-hmm. it is. That's that's exactly how it is. That's how it is. And so 
we have to really begin to say, okay, this is not a this is not a time for despair. We've been here before, and we and we survived, and we not only survived, we thrived. What is it that we need to do to counteract to counter this reign of terror? And and after this break, Ruby, I'd like for people to give us a call at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two to answer that question because I think that you and I have turned this over like a Rubik's Cube for years and years and years and we need to hear from the people who are sleeping. You're listening to Our Common Ground. My co-host tonight is Ruby Sales and she is throwing it down like a soldier (laughs) sister for real. We'll be right back and we continue our tribute to Dr. Francis Chris Welsing, who we lost this morning, now an honored ancestor. Now, you can kill each other. I know you're depressed because I don't have jobs for you. I know you're depressed and upset because there's no decent housing. And you're depressed because there's no future for you. But I will give you the equipment so that you can kill each other out of your frustration. And so the caller is absolutely right. And when Neely Fuller, in his textbook for victims of racism, white supremacy, and he listed the behaviors that black people should stop engaging in, and these behaviors begin to help counter racism. He says stop name-calling one another. Stop gossiping about one another. Stop squabbling with one another. Stop snitching on one another for reasons of personal gain. Stop cursing one another. Stop being discourteous to one another. Stop being disrespectful to one another. Stop stealing from one another. Stop robbing one another. Stop fighting one another and stop killing one another. This is from his work in 1954. So it's not without, not just labeling, the people who classify themselves as white structured a system for their genetic survival. And that's what they're doing. We, who are the victims of the system, have to employ our ability to analyze and and develop strategies and tactics as best we can to counter it. But they're not going to destroy the system that they structured for their own survival. That's why we need to protest, Dr. Welsing, the ones who are killing in our own communities. I can't take my children to the playground, Dr. Welsing, because it's black people who are doing the shooting. Well, in other words, what we have to do, see, as a people, I would say, which is what I started out saying, black people don't want to face the fact that we are in a system of racism, white supremacy. If we were to face that fact and function with an analysis as opposed to just complaining, we would talk about what we need to do with our behavior. But what did the Attorney General say? Are we a nation of cowards being unable 
to face the fact of racism and talk about it. That's what we're not doing. And so uh, all black people, if I could wave the magic wand when we get off this radio show, we'd all be talking about we're in a... You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. No way out of this confusion. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm educating my child to believe by the kind of so-called music and language that I have radiating in my home. That the system of racism wants me to teach them to demean black. You see, or it could be a little baby who doesn't even go to school and somebody is calling him a name or calling her a name because their skin color is dark. Instead of, we ought to be saying, most black is most beautiful. That's the parent color from which all of the colors come. So what, and again, it's we have to understand the system. We have to understand the programming that the system takes us through. We have to understand when we turn on that TV in the morning to get the news and to get the weather that we're seeing white, 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 and those white, 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 clowning black person, white, 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 overweight black person, white, 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 white. That's our morning daily dose of racism, white supremacy. Love, white, hate ourselves. And so if we begin to understand it, then we know how to play the black side of the chessboard. You don't even have to turn off the TV. You can limit it, the amount of TV that you look at. But you understand in a system of racism, white supremacy, the television, the videos, the movies teach racism, white supremacy. Help the children understand that. But by valuing the children and not calling the children names and not yelling them at them and beating them because we're frustrated. And this is why I say that... And now back to Our Common Ground. 
thank you for being here with us tonight at our Common Ground. Our co-host tonight is Dr. Ruby in Sales of the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia. Our number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to get in on this conversation. Ruby, I tell you, we have prescriptions all over the place. Dr. Francis Cress Wilson was a master scholar, a master teacher. I love the way in which she could take her craft, her skills as a psychiatrist and bring it down to just some black common sense. Ruby? Yes. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking about this whole business of black common sense. You see, one of the things that happens in technology is that one sense of reality can be very badly manipulated. For example, we saw Donald Trump making fun of a man with a disability, and yet he said because he said that he didn't do it, people actually debated what they had seen with their own eyes. Own eyes, exactly. Had seen it with their own eyes. And technology, that's the danger of technology, that technology constructs reality, not what we see with our eyes, not lived lives. And so part of the reconstruction of reality is to say that the police feared for their lives. To present black people, Michael Brown was a dangerous criminal. Laquan mm-hmm. McDonald mm-hmm. tried to assault the police. And we're looking at this video with our own eyes, but that doesn't matter because the narrative remains the same, that these that the executed black victims were dangerous animals, barbarians at the gate of white society who were enemy combatants to law and order, and needed to be taken out. Down, yeah, yeah. We're at the and bottom we of the hour. That. Right. You, 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 we say, well, he was a right. child. We say, well, he was just a child. No, that's not the point. Yes, he was just a child. But even before you get to just a child, why would you shoot somebody down in an open carry state? And what about John Crawford, who had also been shot in Walmart? In this, in a state that said that it was okay to carry guns. What about yeah. the white man in Ohio that went into the black neighborhood in Dayton, swinging his gun out in front of the black barber shop? The police came. They didn't shoot him. They didn't put him in jail. In the same state that look, in the same state that John Crawford was killed. In the same state that Tamir Rice was killed for allegedly mm-hmm. carrying a gun. So why mm-hmm. is it that only white people are allowed to carry guns? Yeah. In a yeah. state that says that it's legal to carry guns. Yeah. Why would you assume we, that that the, that somebody was trying to kill the police? And how many police does it take to take one person down? Yeah. Is the person We've got such a call, beast? Ruby. Oh. And and I'm sure it's people who want to try to help us grapple 
Okay, good. Uh, Sorry. With this issue, <laughs> but but I want to, I want to I want to interject here that this whole notion of creating the landscape in which all of this happens is that system that Dr. Cress Welsing talked about 30 years ago. 404, you're on the air. I respect you with my co-host, Ruby Sales. Thank you for your call. Hey, peace and blessings, Ms. Janice. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing tonight? Happy New Year. Um, yes, ma'am. Happy New Year to you and uh, Ms. Ruby. Happy New see Year. The, Happy New Year. See, see uh, ladies from where I sit, the answer is simple, man. So I don't I've been doing a lot of analyzing and uh from what I see we are the people of the book. Okay? God waiting for us to do something. All we got to do, y'all know what the definition of a revolution is? The the root word is revolve. All we gotta do is revolve and change, okay, with this system. See? Did y'all see all them storms that was happening when these people wanted to have a white Christmas last week? Did y'all see that? Was y'all paying attention? Yeah, yeah we saw the storms. Okay, and see, uh, I did some uh, some research. And do you know all these black people, there's a lot of black people that lost their houses in these tornadoes and storms. And do you know what the common denominator was for every one of them black people that their house got tore up last week? You know what the common denominator was? What was that? They had a Christmas tree in their house, okay? All of them had a Christmas tree in their house. All right. Well, there Sorry. shouldn't be one black person still standing because many black people had Christmas trees. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that was just a sign, okay? That's just a sign of stuff to come. See, it's, we are the people of the book, okay? it's time. Y'all want to make changes, make all this stuff? All we got to do, and like Dr. Francis said, we know the system is messed up. Come out of y'all, man. Come out of them. Quit participating in the holidays, man. Okay, well, I don't know. That's all we got to do. God waiting for us to do, to make a move. See, we are the people of the book. We had to pay this penalty, y'all, for what for what was done to our brother, that knackerheaded Nazarene named Yeshua. Okay, black people crucified him when they when they turned him into Herod and to uh, Pontius Pilate, and they asked uh, him and asked him, oh, them the black preachers and say that's y'all king. Okay, you, you lose the me. What I'm you what I'm telling you, Miss Janice, we are the people of the book. Okay? We are the tribe of Israel. Okay? Once we quit these idols, okay, take that gold off, quit eating that hog and go back to the most high God and quit doing them idols, Miss Janice. Quit bowing down to a tree every year, taking a tree out the forest, putting it in your house, bowing down to put a gift down there, bowing down to pick that gift up, and then you we gonna see stuff happen, man. Okay, that's the only way to come out of this, y'all. I, I just, it's simple, but it's true. Well, okay, I, it's I really appreciate what you're sharing with us and for laying down that knowledge, and it will be something yeah. that we'll certainly think about that's as me. we I move forward. I got one forward. more point, too, about Ms. Janice. You know me. I know about this real technology. Ms. Francis was murdered by an electronic weapon. The, the people wanted her land because her house was right next to a school. Okay? They hit her with acoustical weapons. No frequency weapons and gave her a stroke. Miss Janice, believe me, I'm telling the truth now. You know me. I talked to you years ago. I just be listening. And then when it's time for me to talk, I spread my information. Because to know when I get information, I got to spread it. If not, I get, I get penalized. So I just have well, to tell are, people what I we know. Are, 
we appreciate it, and it's something for people to think through. I, I really uh, appreciate your your call. That's right. Peace and you have, stay strong and we, and and we wish for you all in the new year enough. Thanks, but for real talk, I, I, since I did what I'm saying, what I'm telling everybody else to do, I've been blessed in 2015 and 2014. God has blessed me, man. Just, but the simple thing, I just turn for what these pagan holidays. I don't celebrate none of the holidays and, and don't eat no pork. And God will bless you, man. You ain't got to worry about your enemies. God will make your enemies your footstool, man. Seriously, Janet. But we are Israel, okay? And our penalty is up, really. Because we really didn't get blessed. We're going to get blessed. We're coming out of this whether y'all know it or not. Because that melody you got, y'all got is so precious to God. That's why they're killing y'all, them boys and stuff. They want that melanin, y'all. That DNA. We are we are from God, man. Well, okay. Well, we're going to go to some other callers. Thank you, Jay, for your, your call. I, you um, know me, Jay. This Big West. This Big West. Oh, Thank I'm sorry. Thank you so much Big for West. laying all I, that knowledge on us. We really appreciate yes, it. The more ideas we have, the more we can study the problem. That's Absolutely. right. We're the people of the book. We're the people of the book, y'all. This ain't no joke. Okay. Well, I'm I'm um going to figure out which book that might be. Thanks, the uh, Bible. Big West. Uh, we really appreciate it and wish you enough in 2015. Ruby, you know, I think that while we talk about people who are sleeping, that there are people who are stretching and reaching for for what the answers are. Yes, but I think that in our society, because sleep is more comfortable than being awake, I think oftentimes people who try to be awake are penalized and dismissed by other black people as being crazy or pulling the race card or being paranoid. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's Dr. Crest, Dr. Welsing paid a price, not only in terms of her job, but in terms of a vicious assessment that she was out of touch with reality, that her Mm -hmm. theories were phony. And so I Mm -hmm. think that we've got to really look at the fact that it's not easy to tell the truth. No, no, it is not easy, and there is a penalty for it. And I think that there are people who shy away from it because they can least afford to be penalized or to be punished uh, for them. Um, You know, I I look at one of the things I so appreciate about um, some of our warrior soldiers of the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s is that many times they had to stand alone. Look at what look at the beating that Fannie Lou Hamer had to take. And that does not mean in my assessment, it does not mean that people who do achieve, people who um make sacrifices that you don't uh, you don't all the time see what those sacrifices are uh, 
Ruby? Uh, let me, you mentioned Fannie Lou Hamer, you mentioned sacrifices. And I just want to say that in that jail with Fannie Lou Hamer was a 16-year-old local young woman named June Johnson. The police beat her so badly until one of her eyes popped out. She died in her 50s, and I'm convinced that she died because of that beating, that there were repercussions of that, there were side effects of that. And I'm saying, black, she was 16 years old. She was black and she was female. And she was beaten so badly in a Mississippi jail until her eye fell out. That's put her eye back in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, what is more frightening to live a life of constant anxiety and fear or to stand up for oneself because the consequences cannot be any greater than what we are facing right now. You're absolutely right. The truth of the matter is when we stand up for ourselves, we have more food. When we stand up for ourselves, we get better housing. When we stand up for ourselves, our conditions improve. So we might as well speak. We might as well stand up. We might as well act out. You know, I've been in discussions, uh, Ruby, over the last couple of weeks with people who are saying that black rage and black outrage uh, is nothing more than fodder and entertainment. Um, kind of disappointed uh, in in that discourse beginning in our community, and it is beginning. Um, there are there are anti uh, black rage people who are saying that this does nothing for us, and it's very. I find it distressing and I find it disturbing that racism and white supremacy is not more important uh, than addressing the issue of poverty uh, in, uh, in in our community. Um, I, I find a lot of, the, uh, of, of those discussions distressing in the sense that there is a glimmer of truth about poverty, but there are underlying layers and dimensions that come with poverty that we also have to address. What what I find, you know, I wrote a reflection on Sunday, and it sort of is tied into what you just talked about. Poverty is problematic. But so is wealth. So is the materialism that's tied into empire power. We assume that because people have material things that they're full human beings. We don't look at the way in which white supremacy diminishes and dehumanizes white people 
cut them off from the rest of the world, contain them in spaces that they dare not walk out of, contain them in separate quarters from the rest of the world, promise them the bigness of life and give them the smallness of whiteness, make them commit suicide in terms of their own humanity, make them live in a constant state of fear that somebody has what they want. I don't believe, the only reason why you can believe that wealth is the ultimate utopia for human beings is to buy into an empire perception if you, mm-hmm. and to buy into their propaganda that they are the excellent supreme race because of all of what they have. I say, as Dr. Wellesley would, Wellesley would say, I think that the white supremacy has crippled their humanity. And they have convinced us that what we see is not a crippled people, but a strong, upright people. And I don't buy that. And they tell us that we are on the margins of society. I don't buy that either. We might be on their margins, but once again, life is much more complicated than that. I might be on the margins of white society, but in my community, I'm not on the margins. I'm somebody who's important. And I'm somebody essential. So do I derive my definition totally from what white people say I am, or do I consider the fact that in my church, at the usher board, in my school, in my community, that I am somebody? How do I read my narrative of self-worth? And I think that we've got to start thinking deeper about these questions. When we say black lives matter, I want to just say black lives more than black bodies because there's an element of the historical narrative that has reduced black people to bodies. I believe that what is essential is all aspects of black people, which are our lives. And so I I, I think that we must really, 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 really ask ourselves, what is it that we fear that would make us throw away a generation of young people? When I talk to young black kids, the sad thing about it, when my interns come to Spirit House, this is what they say. They say, Mama Ruby, we are tired. We feel abandoned. We can't understand for the life of me, us, why did your generation, you tell us that white supremacists are this and that, and we know how they use their power to crush people, why would you send your precious children, why would you send us up against those people to fight? For, to fight? We were just children. You knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't try to defend that anymore. What I say yeah. to them is that I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. I can't change what we have done, but what I'd like to figure out is how might we move forward 
and develop an intergenerational strategy so that the next generation that comes along will not suffer some of the same abandonment assaults that you suffered. It is a disgrace that black kids are being put in handcuffs for chewing, chewing gum and talking on their cell phones. That's abandonment. There's no mm-hmm. nice way to put that. On on, on that note, Ruby, tell us uh, a bit about what you're doing on March 17th at the through the Spirit House Project uh, in Washington, D.C. Well, one of the things that we're we when we we're comparing this report on state sanctioned murders of African American people by the police since two thousand seven. And as we got deeper and deeper into the report, which we thought would be two thousand people, but we're still counting. And one of the things that we saw is that many black children are being terrorized and murdered by the police. They're being terrorized in in schools and all public places, the streets and everywhere. There's very few places that offer young black children sanctuary. And so what we decided, the Spirit House, what we decided to do is that we as black women, we would do what we've always done, up until recently, 40 years, we would stand up and demand that this country take their hands off our children and stop the war against black children. So we're taking a delegation. America sends delegations all over the world monitoring whether or not other people are exercising democracy, whether or not they're having proper elections. Well, we're going to have a delegation to go to Washington, D.C., and we're going to tell the government, we're going to demand that the government stop decimating the rights of our children, killing our children, and torturing them, profiling them, and denying them the right to have a public education. Mm-hmm. And so and we're taking people... 300 black women as a delegation to Washington, D.C. And, and and people can get in touch with you by People can get in you. touch with us by writing info at spirithouseproject.org. Info at spirithouseproject.org. And for those of you who are listening, uh, we are going to develop a page on the ourcommonground.com website which will provide you all of the information for the 300 uh, uh, black people delegation to Washington, D.C., sponsored by the Spirit House Project on our website and give you the information that you need. We also, of course, will be hosting um, uh, Dr. Sales and the Spirit House Project around this activity in February so that you will get enough information and we hope that you will get involved before then. So it's info at spirithouse.org. Is that right? Yes. May I just say something as a word of encouragement? Why do you keep asking permission? (laughs) Because, you know, I know that I've given a very critical analysis, which I think is necessary. But I want to say something 
that I need for people to really hear me. Okay, because we've only got a few minutes before I have to get out of here. Okay, one of the we must understand, as Sterling Brown says, that no matter what they did to us, strong people kept coming. And white people are simply amazed at all of the things that they've done to us. And as Maya Angelou says, and still we rise. So there's nothing for us to be afraid. We're resilient. We're survivors. We've been here before. We destabilized white supremacy in a nonviolent way, and we can do it again. Well, we we certainly uh, thank you, Ruby Sales, and all of the people at the Spirit House Project for being strong on our behalf, for not being silent, for being a strong voice, and certainly for you joining me tonight to talk about what we were sleeping on. And I thank you so very much and look forward to having you for your regular stint as a monthly stint as co-host at Our Common Ground and to talk to you about the 300 delegates to Washington, D.C., hands off our children. Ruby Sales, I love you. I love you very much. Love you uh, too, my sister. And look forward to supporting you in any way I can with this broadcast and in other ways. Thank you all for being with us uh, here at Our Common Ground. That Ruby Sales knows she can lay it down. She She just throws it out. We hope you'll join us next Saturday night. We're going to do a, a tribute. We take some time and do a, a, another tribute to Dr. Francis Chris Welsing. And we hope that you are sending out, if you are a praying person, sending out prayers to her family for comfort and strength. Uh, I will provide more information uh, through my Facebook page and on our website about uh, any gatherings, public gatherings that might happen in tribute uh, to her. I'm Janice Graham, and next Saturday night we'll be right here on Our Common Ground. Thank you for being with us, and Happy New Year. We wish you, from the Our Common Ground family, enough. The system of racism teaches sex is dirty because they don't like the way they look. And we just follow along blindly going into our destruction. But I'm saying we have to pull back and say, hey, what is happening? That's the question that black people raise when they greet each other. Hey, what's happening? What's happening? And we ask it repeatedly because we haven't yet fully understood what's going on, but we can understand, and we can teach ourselves to understand the system and how to counter this system of destruction by not being the willing participants. Thank you.
so this week we said goodbye to the legendary Natalie Cole. She made her transition on this past Thursday at the age of 65. Thank you for being with us tonight on Our Common Ground. Join us next Saturday, 10 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you.